Thank you, Joy, for your story. Walking into your classroom yesterday brought back a lot of memories. I remember laying on the ground, on the floor, staring bleary-eyed at the carpet, wondering when I would get to go home. The night before school started, it was an annual event. My dad was a teacher, and we would be there till all hours of the night while he was getting the classroom ready, getting the bulletin boards creatively set for the new year with uh, some new theme that would inspire his students for that year. Usually I'd get to go home at some point. Sometimes he would stay all night and be there ready for school in the morning. Teachers put in a lot of work, and this time of year is huge, no matter what year it is. But this year is, of course, a year beyond all other years, with so many new procedures being put into place, and so many new ways of having to deal with with students in the classroom, as well as what it's going to look like for some that will be online, and, and all of these nuances are so huge. So with school starting at Wava and Rogers this next week, um, it really has been an inspiration to think, how can we support our teachers? Now, some of you out in, who are listening to this may be teachers who have already started school in another district or another school, so you're already in the middle of it. I've seen many posts on Facebook of people who have started school even weeks ago, school started for some, some of you out there who may be listening today. So during this time, whether you're a teacher at Rogers, whether you're a teacher at Wava, whether you're a teacher in the public school system, if you're a teacher maybe even beyond the Walla Walla Valley and you're looking in today, we want to bless our teachers today. We want to just remember what a blessing you are to us and be able to celebrate what you do. Once again, coming from a teacher's family, I know that it's not just about getting school ready. That's only the beginning. As the year continues, there's extracurricular activities teachers are involved in. I remember going to school with my dad, would go and would be there all day, would come home late at night sometimes, and then there would be correcting that would have to be done. I remember getting up at four in the morning sometimes, going to the bathroom or something, and there's my dad out there correcting papers. So this is, this is not just a one week, let's pray for you sort of thing, but it's a huge endeavor that you're putting yourselves into this year. And we just want to celebrate that. And I'm, I'm referring right now because we're starting with our elementary school and, and, and academy here in the Walla Walla Valley. But we also have Walla Walla University starting up in not too long. And so a whole other layer of education and professors and those of you who have dedicated your lives to teaching. So we want to celebrate that uh, today and to just lift you up before the Lord. As we are coming to the end also of summer, we've been doing a parable series here at the University Church. And a lot of those parables, when I came on staff, were already in place. Plans were made about what was going to be preached about. And when it came to me preaching this weekend, however, there was ambiguity as to which parable would be used. And so I got to, to look at the parables and think, well, if we're celebrating our teachers, if we're celebrating education, we're celebrating also just the idea that even amidst a, a pandemic and craziness, we're still able to have our kids be educated in one way or another. Um, what parable would go along with that? 
And you know, Jesus has so many incredible parables, you could, you could pick a number of them that would have nuances that would go with teaching. The one that came to me as a, as a powerful illustration of how knowledge comes into a soul and grows is actually Jesus's description of the kingdom. So I'm going to share with you right now the parable of the mustard seed. Now, there are two different parables in Scripture about mustard seeds. In some ways, those two parables unite together in, 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 a, in a tapestry that blends nicely. I'm going to focus on one today, but I might pull in at the end the other parable because I think it supports Jesus' parable of the mustard seed as a tree. So without much more ado, let's read Matthew 13, 31 through 32 says this, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it's the smallest of all seeds. Yet, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. This parable seems pretty simple. In fact, it doesn't have a whole lot of words with it. We could look at it and say, okay, well, what's, what's really the meat of what Jesus is saying here? And basically, it's along the lines of this. Somebody needs to plant some seeds. They've got seeds, so they plant the seeds. And here, if we're looking at teachers, teachers, you've gained knowledge, you've grown knowledge, you've, you've sucked in knowledge over your teaching career and now you have all those seeds of knowledge and you're going to plant them and you're going to go plant God's kingdom or you're going to plant even just knowledge about life that's out there. But as with Jesus's other parables, it's not just that simple. The beauty of Jesus and his stories was that they had layer upon layer upon layer. We can read them over and over again and get new insights as we do. So to dive into this parable and its complexity, I'd like to start by acknowledging the fact that Jesus in his life ministry here on earth during that time was not the only time he told parables. In fact, we think of parables as being a New Testament, Testament phenomenon when in reality parables filled the Old Testament. And even the life that the Israelites lived, the way they wandered through the wilderness, the way they crossed through the Red Sea, all of these events were really a living parable. They lived the parables. But not only were living parables woven throughout Scripture and throughout time, but also actual stories God used through the prophets to describe his relationship with his people often were in parable form. So as I was thinking about this, seed, the mustard seed being planted, the, the sprout growing, and then it mentions the birds of the air coming and, and finding nesting here in, in the lodging that is created. My mind immediately went to the book of Daniel and the story that is presented to King Nebuchadnezzar, a dream that is given to King Nebuchadnezzar, where a lot of that same language and description is presented. Now, in this dream, there's also an ominous type of feeling or nuance that goes along with the dream as it comes to Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't wake up with happy, fuzzy feelings. 
because the tree comes to an end. But here's what the, what the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, verses 10 through 14, here's how it describes Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Starting with verse 10, these are the visions I saw while laying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and in its top, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the vision I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from under its branches. You can see why Nebuchadnezzar felt a bit ominous about his dream. It didn't end well. There was a beautiful picture of a, of a luxuriant tree, but that tree ended in demise. God uses other stories of trees in the Old Testament. And usually, there is one tree that is spoken of probably the most, not only in stories, but also in the practical sense. When something is being built, when the sanctuary was being built for the, and, and the temple in Jerusalem, the cedars of Lebanon were a constant conversation piece regarding construction. Now, the cedars of Lebanon today are pretty, pretty sparse from what I hear. I have never been to Lebanon. I've looked over its borders. I've, I've thought it would be wonderful to go see these cedars. I've seen cedars of Lebanon planted outside of their environment in other areas of the world. But these cedars, as you can see in the picture, are pretty massive. Typically, when I think of a cedar tree, at least in the Pacific Northwest, I think of kind of a tall, straight tree. These trees almost remind me of an oak. They have their branches sprawling, and indeed, they are a magnificent tree that could house a lot of animals in their shade, in their branches, and around. God uses the cedars of Lebanon to describe different kingdoms of power that happened in the Old Testament. We're going to look here at Ezekiel. And Ezekiel 31 is written directly, it's going as a prophecy towards Egypt and Pharaoh specifically. However, it also calls into mind, into mind another kingdom that is also compared to a cedar. So here we go. Who can be compared with you in majesty? This is once again starting out talking to Pharaoh. It says then, consider Assyria. Assyria once a cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches overshadowing the forest. It towered on high. And once again, Assyria is that nation that Jonah was sent to, to go in and preach to them. It was Assyria that was, Assyria was a great empire, had great power. The waters nourished it. Deep springs made it grow tall. Their streams flowed all around its base and sent their channels to all the trees of the field. 
So it towered higher than all the trees of the field. Its boughs increased and its branches grew long, spreading because of abundant waters. And here's the language, once again, reminding us of what Jesus was saying. All the birds of the sky nested in its boughs. All the animals of the wild gave birth under its branches. All the great nations lived in its shade. It was majestic in beauty with its spreading boughs, for its roots went down to abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not rival it, nor could the junipers equal its boughs, nor could the plane trees compare with its branches. No trees in the garden of God could match its beauty. I made it beautiful with abundant branches. The envy of all the trees of Eden in the garden of God. That language almost reminds you of some of the descriptions of Lucifer that God, God also uses like in Isaiah and also in, in Ezekiel. But here, once again, we're getting a nation compared to a tree that is just beyond itself in its power and beauty, almost to an extreme and beyond maybe what should be. Verse 10, it continues, Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because the great cedar towered over the thick foliage, and because it was proud of its height, I gave it into the hands of the rulers of the nations, for him to or the ruler of the nations, for him to deal with according to its wickedness. I cast it aside, and the most ruthless of foreign nations cut it down and left it. Its boughs fell on the mountains and in all the valleys. Its branches lay broken in all the ravines of the land. All the nations of the earth came out from under its shade and left it. For a number of years, I grew up on the west side of the state, little town of Morton, Washington. My, my dad was a teacher there for, I think it was about five, five years we were there. And Morton was a logging town. And I remember out behind our house, there were miles and miles of forests. But those forests, just like the, like the wheat fields around us here, have, have their season. And when their season comes, they are laid bare. I remember lots of fun times building forts in those, those logs that had been laying across the, the hills. And yet, as I think of this cedar and it falling to the ground and the description of the branches cut off and scattered, it reminds me of that desolation that can happen to a forest when it's destroyed. So added to the simplicity maybe of Jesus' parable, maybe there's also nuances and memories that would be sparked in people's minds of other godly stories about branches and birds and verdant life that is there for shade and, and growth. In Ezekiel, God also told about what he would do for Israel as a nation. Ezekiel 17, 22 continues on. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord, set, Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. it will, I will break off a tender sprig from its utmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree 
and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will do it. As I consider the language used in the Old Testament regarding trees, you realize that pride and humility are really the two things that lay at stake in the flourishing of the trees. Those trees that realize their creator, their maker, their sustainer, flourish. Those that don't become destroyed and broken. And here even in this story is a beautiful picture of restoration because God says he will take kind of a remnant language. He will take a tender, a tender piece of that tree and grow it for his glory. In Jesus's story, he doesn't describe a cedar. In fact, the word tree is used, but in fact, it's not really a tree he's even talking about. He starts out using humble language. The seed is humble, very small. And yet, the plant that emerges is a blessing, irregardless of how small that seed is in its beginnings. The mustard plant is not a proud tree. In fact, I remember when I was in Israel, uh, Doug Clark took us on a tour back in 98, and we were traveling through Israel, and at one point our guide was pointing out some mustard plants, and he was trying to tell us, you know, hey, the mustard that you usually think about may not have been the one Jesus was talking about. And he showed us kind of a, a taller, bushy thing that, that maybe was bigger than a, a mustard plant that you and I would think about. However, it wasn't magnificent like a cedar. And when I went back, I thought, well, maybe I'll find that plant he was talking about. So I went on Google and was looking through all kinds of pictures. I don't know where mine is. My, my picture is somewhere buried in volumes of boxes somewhere. But what kept coming up was just the simple mustard plant that grows in, grows in Israel. And in fact, you can see that here. You can see that mustard bushiness. And indeed, birds can land in it. There is shade. There's, there's a sense of protection amongst the mustard mustard plants. However, it isn't a grand cedar. The power of the mustard plant, even if you pull up one of these plants and were to, were to set it in front of you and look at it, it's really pretty weak on itself. It's when it comes together with a lot of other mustard plants that it becomes kind of a, a field of protection, a place of safety for the birds. In that context, I think Jesus's description makes a whole lot of sense. A description of his kingdom growing inside of us like a mustard plant. One that is a blessing, one that produces fruit, one that isn't arrogant and proud and, and trying to stand out above all others, one that works in community and grows together. So teachers, as we're thinking about you and the blessing that you are to our kids, it's not just about the little seed that grows into a plant. Because there's a lot of seeds out there. There are seeds that can grow into very awesome, proud trees that will, that will accomplish the task of what they are meant to grow and do. However, will in the end, maybe beyond the humility that was intended for them to grow with. Furthermore, the seeds that you as teachers bear are very affected by what we as a community surround you with. Worn out, broken, sad, frustrated teacher, teachers will have a hard time planting healthy seeds. Their students will have a hard time taking in 
elements of growth that are going to resemble this parable Jesus is telling. On the other hand, when we have teachers that are encouraged, surrounded, appreciated, prayed for, they will be empowered to be planters of good seed. Seed that can have the prospect of creating a whole generation, a community that not only grows, isn't just a shoot that comes up, but actually is a blessing, has branches that branch out and are a blessing to the world around them. As we look at our students, that's what we want them to be, a blessing, a blessing that can continue giving, that can shower others with more seeds, that can sprout up and create other arms of blessing that will embrace the world that is so in need of an embrace right now, a broken world. Jesus was the greatest seed planter of all. He demonstrated that with his life. And like in many other parts of Jesus' life, he was not only, in, in the Old Testament, he wasn't just the lamb symbolized, but he was also the priest. And in this story here, you can also see this. Jesus describes his kingdom as growing and being there and, and those attributes of himself. But he also describes himself as the planter. He, he's both of those together. And so in John chapter 12, verses 24 through 26, we find the teacher describing also himself as the seed that's growing. He says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. Here, I don't believe Jesus is telling you to loathe yourself in terms of the being he's created you to be. When he says, hate your life, what he's meaning is your life is not what it's all about. It's his kingdom. And if we're willing to sacrifice ourselves, his kingdom can grow through us and expand. Jesus also said in John 12, 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Today, we want to encourage you, our teachers. We want to bless you. We want to pray for you that the parts of you that struggle in life can be humbled in the presence of Jesus and he can grow in you. Now, it could seem that I'm, I'm here just saying, well, well, I'm just preaching at teachers and giving some grand idea of what you need to do. And no, I'm not really doing that because we are all teachers at some level in our lives. Every person listening today has someone you affect. Someone where the seeds inside of you affect somebody else. And so today the call is for all of us to let self die and let Jesus be raised up inside of us. The call is also for us as, to com as community to surround each other and bless those who are specifically passing on knowledge and passing on characteristics of, of the kingdom to others. And so today, we want to lift you up. We're going to do that in a very specific way too. We're going to be praying for our teachers today in the benediction. And 
at first I had thought about in this prayer actually putting up all of the pictures of the Wava and Rogers teachers. And I actually started downloading them and putting them up on, on a PowerPoint. And as I did it, I started thinking, you know what? This is only the tip of the iceberg. We are a community full of educators. We have many of you who are involved in our public school systems, who are lights throughout this community, and we want to celebrate you and what you're doing in your area. We have our professors here at Walla Walla University who are a blessing and, and being light and growing what God has given you in the lives of the students here. But we also have other university, another university and college in this area with professors who are here part of our community that need to be blessed as you teach, as you, as you reach out to your community. So instead of putting a bunch of pictures up on the screen today, we're going to do something else. During this next song, our closing song, O Master, Let Me Walk With Thee, Beautiful words, reminding us where the strength is, where the power is. Referring also kind of to that other mustard seed thing that says, faith as small as a mustard seed can move a mountain. You can't change yourself into being the teacher God wants you to be, or the blessing you're called to be in your community. It's only God that can do that, and only a community that surrounds and grows and blesses that can do those things. So, what I want you to do during this song is to think about the teachers, the educators that surround you in your little space in this community. I want you to have personal prayer for them, that God will be with them. We have, of course, our Wava and Rogers teachers, university professors. We have the community college teachers and professors. We've got preschool teachers scattered throughout our community. We have substitute teachers. We have supporting staff that may not be called teachers, but they are. They work in the library, in the cafeteria. They're janitors in our schools. There are counselors. There's administrators, public school teachers, special ed teachers, online teachers, in-person teachers, teachers' aides, and here's the one that's growing as well, homeschool teachers. Those who are staying home, educating their children. So we have such a broad spectrum. I want you to be thinking of those individuals. Dear Father in heaven, you heard the list that we went through. In fact, I would say our prayer even started at that time as we started listing those that we want you to just surround and love and take care of as they are looking at the task of training minds, both young and older minds, to more knowledge and growth in personal life. I pray that you will give power and strength. I know this is a time of uncertainty. I know that this is a year like no others in our generation. This is a, a time when we need you especially close. I pray that you be there to provide outs for maybe frazzled emotions for those who have kids at home with online learning or, or are doing homeschooling. I pray that you're with the teachers in the classroom that are, are trying to figure out how to do this mask thing and, and distancing and, and just need also your balm of, of peace. I pray that you will be with students. I know it's going to be frustrating with some of the new new 
guidelines that are out there and, and trying to also make new friends and be friends and interact. So many different challenges, God. I could go on and on listing them, but we can only list so much and then we have to just trust you to take over from there. I pray that you will surround each. I also just pray for protection for those who are meeting in place and, and together that you will keep um, germs and keep us pandemic free. Thank you for always promising to walk with us through all times. And so now we just lift up our teachers. We pray that you give us understanding on how to support, nurture, and be a positive influence as they struggle to do your calling. Thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen. Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.